Good morning. Isn't that awesome? I love the way they run for children's church. (laughs) Do we run like that to God? I always think about that when I see them running. Well, today we continue in the book of James. And um, I've had a couple interesting encounters this week. We're looking at today's scripture of being a friend of God. And I often think about how... difficult that is in the world in which we live in. And I think about how important it is to have people in our lives that will point us to being friends with God rather than to this world. So um, one day this week, I had a close friend say to me, hey, how's your sermon prep going? And I said, well, well... You know, I just can't, I don't know, I just, I don't know if I know quite what path I'm going down yet. And, um, and I said, and honestly, I said, I'm, I'm really kind of hesitant to really, to really, really ask God what path he wants me to go down. Because the last time when I preached, I did that. And basically, I just came undone because I really felt like the Holy Spirit met me in that space. And I said, honestly, I'd like to get through a sermon without tears. Because they, and, and my friend was so kind and gentle and simply said, it sounds like pride. Ouch! Ouch! But the friend knows me well enough to know that's exactly what it was. I was more concerned about how I appeared than what the Lord really desired. So I guess the good news for you all is that I did then finally went before the Lord and and sought him. Um, But isn't it great to know that we can have people in our lives that will truly speak truth to us? Now, that could have caused a a conflict. If I wasn't in a place to truly receive that, I could have really gotten on, gotten a little feisty, couldn't I? I could have said, who do you think you are, knowing that this is about pride. But, unfortunately, the person knows me well. Um, I also had another encounter. This wasn't necessarily a really spiritual kind of thing, but it also spoke to ways in which we can encourage one another. And so one morning, I'm sitting in my little usual spot in Panera reading, preparing for the sermon, actually, and I notice a text message pop up. And it was early, and so usually people don't text me early in the morning unless it's important. And so, Kara, were we able to even... So lo and behold, this is what I get. Why, you know here, Gene Schneider, from our very own Alan McKinney. And I thought, huh, needless to say, it made me laugh. But Alan and I often cross paths at Planet Fitness. And um, and honestly, I was sitting there, and one of the thoughts I had had that morning was, even though I was in my workout clothes planning to go, I thought, uh... 
I, I don't know that I really want to go. But that little bit of encouragement and laughter made me go, you know, that's a good word. I need to get to the gym because I'm a much better gene when um, I work out than when I don't. So, again, how are we encouraging one another? Isn't that great? Um, we can take Alan off the screen now. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, those points demonstrate we need to have people in our world who truly desire what is best for us and not for their selfish desires or gains, but to truly encourage and correct for us what is good. True friendship in the book of James was written, at the time it was written, had kind of a different meaning than how we reference friendship today. In today's world, we can easily friend or defriend somebody with a click of a mouse. True friends... And James's day shared a mindset and an outlook on life. They shared interests and values and goals. They saw life in much of the same way. They shared goods as necessary. They cared for each other and worked together effectively because they agreed how the work should be done. And so as we begin to think about how can we best go about the work of the Lord? How do we maintain that friendship with God and those that will help walk alongside of us? We're going to explore some of the internal conflicts that come into play that makes it difficult in this world. And also we're going to look at the grace God gives us so that we can get in right relationship with him that also brings us into right relationship with one another. So we'll pick up today in James 3.13. And if anybody has that page number, you can tell me because I didn't look it up. Anybody got it? 982. I knew I could count on y'all. So let's pray. Father, open our hearts and our minds to your word. Begin to speak in ways each of us can hear and stir a desire within us to hear, but to also to submit to you in your ways. Father, help us to understand that you desire friendship with us. And in your grace, you make it possible for us to have that friendship. Father, bind anything of the evil one that wants to distract or deceive us today. And we ask all of this in your power and authority, Jesus. Amen. So as we look at the scripture, uh, this is from the, so the version is a little bit different than what you have in your pew Bibles, but you can follow along there or on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good gifts, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world must make himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is not to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's a meaty passage, isn't it? So today, let's take a look at what are the conflicts that stir within us that create that gap in friendship with God. And also, what does God instruct us to do so that we can stay close and be in true relationship and friendship with him? That first part at the end of chapter 3 talks a lot about wisdom. If you weren't here at the very beginning of the series on the book of James, Drew spoke on wisdom. Um, Great sermon. Catch it online if you didn't get to hear that. But... As we look at it, we see that first conflict to being in friendship with God is really the state of our heart. And we saw that even last week as Mike preached about the words that come out of our mouth. That is often what's in our heart. And so in this particular case, it says bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition results in disorder in every vile practice. It points that if we are battling for position in this world, we have forgotten our status as beloved children of God. It also may point to the fact that we have forgotten that our gifts and our talents that God has blessed us with, that they come from him and that they are for purpose to be used by him. That so often we yearn for those things of this world. We believe that they will bring us satisfaction. That we believe that we have to promote ourselves in some way to have worth and value. And God says, remember, you're mine. 
I've created you in my image. We also see that second conflict as being those passions within us that can create fight and quarrels. Isn't it often to for us as humans that when we have conflict with someone, we want to blame the other person? As well, if only they didn't do this, if only they hadn't said that, then I wouldn't have reacted in the way I did. And James is very clear in this passage that, well, no, good try. But really, it's about what's waging within ourselves that causes war. And so often we may think of anger um, may arise because we aren't getting what we want. And I want you to think about also anger can arise when it reveals to us what we have and we're afraid of losing. What we have that we're afraid of losing. What do we hold on to so tightly that we're fearful of letting go of? In both cases, those uncontrolled emotions, those passions can create conflict in relationship. So I like the way James does this in, in, in the chapter four. He kind of states a fact and then gives a result. And so he says, you do not desire and you do not have. And then he gives the result. What's the result? You murder. Now, probably most of you sitting in this sanctuary can safely say, I've never murdered anyone. However, just last week, Mike preached on the power of the tongue that gives, that can speak life or death. Right? So I think it's important to think about, okay, what, what are we coveting? What can we not obtain? And how do we commit murder? And maybe not physically, but how do we commit murder either in our heart or through our words? James goes on to say, you do not have, and he gives a reason. And the reason is, you can talk to me. You do not ask. You do not ask. Then he goes on and says, you do ask, and the result is, You do not receive. Hmm. And the reason is, you ask wrongly. Because you want to spend it on your own passions. The choir's good back here. They're with me. So we see that in this space that we can so often... Ask for the wrong reasons. That we seek things for the wrong reasons. And that in those, in that seeking in the wrong reasons can often then begin to break that relationship with God. And I don't know about you all, but when I read that, that next line when he said, you adulterous people. I was like, huh, well, that seems kind of rough. But the reality is 
that God doesn't want our attentions going elsewhere. That we cannot have two objects of affection. We can't, we can't lust for the things of this world and also desire God. We've got to choose. You know, I, I work with so many couples over the many years I've counseled. And when I've worked, sat with couples that have had infidelity in their marriages, you know, kind of that first step always is to whichever the, the whichever spouse moved outside of their marriage. You know, the question always is, are you willing to turn your affections back to the one you're married to? I've often sat with couples that have said, well, I've cut it off, but we still work together. Or, well, you know, I still send an email or we're still Facebook friends. And I have to be really firm and say, no, that won't work. That will not work. You've got to turn your complete affections back to the one that you have a covenant of love with. And the same is true in our relationship with God. We can't have these affections over here that are going to continually lure us. We've got to turn our affections completely to the one who loves us and desires that relationship with us. As I read this this verse over and over again, Drew will often have us read things in staff meetings and say, you know, what captures your attention? And there were two words that continually captured my attention. But grace. But grace. Maybe because all the other stuff seems so harsh and I was like, oh. But, but grace. Because that is where the hope is found. That is where we find rest for our souls in a world that says your worth is in what you acquire. It's in your position or your status. It's in the beliefs that hold your identities in bondage that say you're a failure if you don't attain. Because God values something very different. He values us. He says, you don't need to prove anything to me. I know who you are. I created you. And yet, we know that we see over and over and over and over again in Scripture, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we see that temptation of the world, right? We always see wanting something more, wanting something different. From Eve in the garden to even the disciples who walked the earth with Jesus. I just think it's so interesting that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, and yet, even though they had this close relationship with him, they still wanted to, to see what else is out there. And the disciples, as they walked with Jesus... They were still warring for position. Can I be the teacher's pet? Can I sit by your, on your right and your left? Can I? Can I? You know, and how often do we do that as humans? Right? We, we always are wanting something more that, that says, oh, that looks better. 
or that will make me look better in some way. And I think it's important to realize that God did give us our capacity to yearn and to desire and to dream for higher purposes. Because he made us for his glory. To aspire to the glories of the loving God and of blessing other humans. But let us make sure we keep our yearning and our desires for the one who created us. I also think this is a, a good place to give a word of caution. Uh, even, even in the Christian world, we see the gospel preached sometimes in ways that, that promotes the same values of this world. Which often leaves Christians wondering, did I not pray right? Did I not ask it right? What am I not doing right that I haven't gotten what I wanted, that I haven't been blessed with prosperity in some way. And I recently read a devotion that had a beautiful description about what a blessing is. A blessing from God is a gift that is intended for our eternal benefit or good. A genuine blessing always has an eternal component. A genuine blessing always has an eternal component. And how often are we looking for that blessing that's going to impact us just today? That will satisfy some yearning inside of us that we believe will be filled by something that we get or, or a position in which we attain. But thankfully, the covenant of God's love and his grace make it possible for us to live in a world, in, in this world, and to live as friends of God. James gives us specific actions that we can accomplish only through God's grace. Because if we try this stuff on our own, you're going to feel like you failed again. But he gives us some really specific instructions. He says, submit to God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a beautiful promise. And sometimes our resisting the devil, sometimes we do it once and the devil goes. Sometimes we may be entrenched in something and, and we, you know, you stand firm and you say no to the evil one. And all of a sudden you feel like, darn it, he's back again. You know, when people are battling addictions so often, it feels like they have to continually stand firm and resist the devil. He says, draw near to me, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In one of the commentaries I read, I thought it was really insightful that, you know, back in, in the days of James, they often had, you know, other gods that were, you know, physical statues and, and that they would worship. And this, you know, so somebody could draw near, but there wouldn't be any other action from a wooden statue. Whereas with our God, he draws near to us as we draw near to him. He tells us to, to, to be clean, to purify ourselves. And again, we know that's about us going before him and before the one who does cleanse us. 
And he says to grieve over our sin. That there is great sorrow in the sin in which we commit against God and others. And that we it's okay for us to grieve over that sin. And to humble ourselves. You know, that position of humility. And I think that's a position that daily we have to take before God. Because again, we are hit and bombarded by so much of this world that says pride is the way to go rather than humility. You know, as a, as a counselor, I have sat often, um, in those sacred spaces in the counseling room as I, as people have struggled with these, these passions, with these internal conflicts. And sometimes their pain is a result of other people's pursuit of those passions. And sometimes it's their own pain as a result of the pursuit of those passions and seeing the pain that then they cause others. But I've also know and see God working in people's lives, that his grace is sufficient, that he brings truth to the deception, that he brings hope to the despair, that I see as we repent, as people repent, that lives are transformed, and I see relations reconciled. And we know it's only in that grace that we can walk fully in the freedom that God provides. So we are called to draw near to him, to submit to him, to allow God to empower us to resist the devil, that he will cleanse us and that we maintain that posture of humility. Now, in the last few minutes, I always, um, the counselor in me just, just can't get away sometimes. Because I could keep talking, or I could say, why don't we go before the great counselor and let us listen. Now, this might be the point where you're like, why in the world do they let Schneider preach up here? Because she's always asking us to do something weird. Um, or maybe you, maybe the whole idea of listening to God might be new. Or maybe it's, I haven't heard from God in a long time. I don't know why he would speak to me now. Or maybe you think your sins are too great to hear from God. Let me assure you that his grace is sufficient in in all those cases. That he desires to meet you. And as we draw close to him, allow him to draw close to you. To recognize that his grace, but grace, that none of us deserve God's love, but it's given to us through his, through Jesus' death on the cross, that he paid the price for our sins, and that he conquered death through his resurrection. So it's in that grace and it's that promise of that resurrection power We're going to go before him today, and we're just going to take just a few minutes. I'm just going to lead you as we pray and then just have a moment of silence in each one, in each of these moments, um, and let God just speak to your heart today. So will you pray with me? 
Father, we come before you, and Lord, oh, how we invite you to come into this time. And Lord, we ask that you will show each of us today where we've taken up friendship with the world and where we've been unfaithful to you. That Lord, I just ask right now that you would come and just illuminate that in our in our lives today. Show us, Father, where we've done that, where we have separated from you, where the desires of this world have drawn us away from you. And so, Lord, we confess and repent of that sin today. Lord, we know it's in your grace that we receive your forgiveness. And, Lord, we ask, what do we need to do differently? What do I need to do differently to safeguard my relationship with you, to avoid being tempted by the things of this world? Father, would you just come right now and just speak to each heart about what is needed to safeguard that relationship? And Lord, how will you empower me to be a witness of your love and invite others into relationship with you rather than the world. So, Lord, help us now as we turn from that sin. Help us to remain submitted to your will. We thank you, Father, that you cleanse and purify us. Help us to stand in your strength to resist the devil. Give us the desire and the obedience to have true friendship with you. In Jesus' name.